This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Today's title is this, Release Your Grip. Release Your Grip. I didn't say get a grip. (laughs) I said release your grip. You know, I've got this plane on the platform behind me, and, uh, and this powerful reminder of how God can lift us above the things in life that we're in. And of course, the power of, of gravity pulls things down, but the wings are arranged aerodynamically to lift it as thrust comes behind the engine and lifts it off the ground and takes it further. And, and uh, we talked about that last week. If you missed last week, please catch it on either the podcast or our website. But uh, this week I went on a flight and I left on Monday and I went a little bit further south in the United States. So when I left, uh, that was fun. I got on a plane and uh, thank you, Delta. It felt safe on the plane. Um, it, was, it was a good experience. And, uh, and, but I looked out the window on my way back in on Wednesday and Minnesota had changed. Because uh, there's this white stuff everywhere. There was snow. And I'm like, what's up with that? You know, I'm like, what's going on? I, didn't, I was not very excited about that. Um, and, uh, of course, when I landed, uh, I, had to, I had to accept it. I had to accept that we were in winter again. Um, but I want you to consider that when I was flying above and looking down, my perspective was different. And when you live the kingdom way and you follow what God calls you to do, even if it doesn't make sense to everybody else, the thrust of God's kingdom and his ways will lift you up and you'll have a different perspective, even from those around you going through the same stuff, because God can lift you up. Can I get an amen to that? He can lift you up. And uh, just as a reminder, last week we talked about the fundamental start in the series that there are two wings of the plane that were essential, if, if you will, to, to get off the ground. The first one was stewardship. And we just talked about managing what has been given to us. So learning to take care of and manage those things. And if we do take care of those things, we have the capacity to live and be generous, which is the second wing, generosity, which is funneling resources to needs that God directs. And remember I talked about last week that God is standing here and he sees the needs of people around us and the world around us, and he uses us because we're on the other side, and he sees his people as the channel to bring his resource to meet the need in the world. Well, if we're going to be generous and meet the need, we got to be good stewards of what God has given us. In fact, we'll talk a lot more about that next week. Very excited about what's next. But today, I want you to know that there's a fundamental aspect to both wings that we have to cover, and it's this one question. Who is the owner? Who is the owner? People, when they look at our lives and we deal with things that we weigh on our hearts, anxiety, fear of loss, fear of the future, jealousy, anger towards other self-righteousness, pride, all of us can feel the weight of the world on our own shoulders if we're the ones that own it. But God has a different way, and you know, I I know the challenges are real in 2020 with all the financial uncertainty and different things happening with employment, and people are just unsure about the future. It can have an impact on your soul. It can have an impact on your body. In fact, long-term financial stress, as it turns out, can seriously affect your health. 
It's been linked to migraines and cardiovascular diseases and work absenteeism and insomnia and mental health problems, including depression and other mood disorders. It raises your risk of metabolic syndrome and diabetes. It can predispose you to unhealthy addictive behaviors as you try to self-medicate to feel relief from the pain of stress. It can have an enormous impact on your physical well-being. But it can also affect things like your relationships. The number one marriage killer is financial stress. So it has an impact on all of us. And the pressure can erode the internal peace and freedom that we want to have. And people then, when we have relationships with people around us, or even at work or in our families, we can view people as threats or enemies because we're trying to protect them. And then the burden weighs down our heart because we can't bear it alone. And if we're gonna see change and we're like, how do I get out of this? It's because it, it, it's on our shoulders and we're creating profesh, uh, pr- uh, pressure to perform, then, then we feel worn out. Or if we can look at other people and go, well, maybe it's somebody else who's responsible to get me out of this. And it puts expectations on other people in our story to change or have pity on us. And then we become victims, always angry at the man or some person who won't give us a chance. But I want you to know that the kingdom of God offers another way. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will what? Find it. If you cling to it, and you put all your hope and your energy into something, and you don't release it to God, then you feel the weight. But the kingdom way is a different way. Jesus says, if you release it and you trust in me, then you'll actually find what you're looking for. God's way of dealing with the weight of self-reliance or others' reliance is through God-reliance. God consistently challenges people to look to him as our source. We can understand this through the lens of ownership. We need to learn how to release our grip. Turn to the person next to you and say, release your grip. (laughs) See, if we hold on to things as if we're the owner, we step between our life and God's blessing. And for God's lift to come to the areas of our life that we dream of, we have to take what we grip and put it in God's hands. And it really requires a shift in our thinking, moving from a this is all my stuff, everything, way of viewing the world to one of it's all God's stuff, requires a paradigm shift. You see, God owns everything. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. How many know he's got the whole world in his hands? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then you can keep going and adding your own lines in there. The truth is he's got it all. In Psalm 50, it says, for all the animals of the forest are mine. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. It's God. He owns it. He's the creator. He doesn't just 
acknowledge it and is distant. He says, it's mine. I own it. In fact, he owns everything, including our bodies. Now, this is contrary to a lot of the world that we're in right now. A lot of the world and the prevailing wisdom of the world is, it's yours. Nobody can tell you what to do. And that's true, except for God, who is the true owner. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to who? Yourself. And if we can recognize that we belong to God, everything, our money, our kids, our families, our future, our marriages, our dreams, when we realize our success, and our failures are all in his hands, and we release that to God, then we can experience his peace and his blessing and his lift. When we realize it and recognize it, it brings something internally. But when we don't and we're self-sufficient, we experience the stress and the anger and the frustration of life, Then it's all on our own shoulders. See, the creator designed us the best function with him in relationship with God on our own something's missing we've got blind spots how many know you got a blind spot sometimes in life things you didn't realize you you were doing you you were doing it was damaging to your life we've got a darker side to our character that will come out in difficult times but when we release it to God he has a way of giving us peace and provision and strength to persevere now how many want to have peace and you want to have that strength to persevere in 2020, then you've got to turn away from self-sufficiency into who God has called you to be. And want, I want to deal with just kind of the dimensions of how we can see God as our owner. And the first one is this, a biblical name for God, one of his names is called Jehovah Jireh. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Jehovah Jireh means the Lord our provider. And it first was seen in Genesis chapter 22 in a place where Abraham had gone on to sacrifice his son before the Lord, and God provided a substitute, a ram in the thicket. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, it says, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah, Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, my wife is going to come up. And just, I want her to share just how it's worked for us and our family over time. But here's the deal. If you give someone a title, it means something. God isn't just a disconnected, ethereal, divine, cosmic power. But he is actually your provider. He's the one that provides. Not you and not your, the place that you're employed in our own ingenuity or the place that we work. But really, this is what it's saying, that God is our provider. And Jody, I want you to just share how that's worked for us. All right. So last week, Pastor Nate told a story about how when our first son was born, I was at the altar here at Emmanuel, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said that I needed to stay home with him and quit my job. And I'm like, oh, boy, our income would have cut in half. And it did cut in half, actually. So he told that story. And I'm not saying that God will speak to everyone that way, but God needed to work in my heart, and so he spoke to me that way. And so, uh, as you know, you have a couple choices. When your income is dramatically cut, you can charge things, which is like borrowing from your future, or you can just cut back expenses. And so we learned to live without on a bunch of stuff. And, you know, honestly, it was good for us because, you know, you, 
you can figure out what you really need and what you don't, and then you start trusting God. And I remember there was a time, like, when we bought our first car that had air conditioning that worked, and I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and you know, having, I'd mentor youth, and we couldn't afford lunch meat, and so it was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So, you know, we've been there, we get that. Uh, but so leaving the job, I was like, you know, Nate and I were praying, and we just had one thing where um, our house, we lived in a house that was really in need of some repairs, and someone said, hey, do you know a hailstorm went through your neighborhood? You should call your insurance and have them check. And I'm like, really? I don't know. I don't remember the hailstorm. And insurance came, and sure enough, we ended up getting a new roof, a new siding, and it was like, okay, God provided. And then I remember there was a time that I'm like, Nate, I really want a gas grill. Do you think God even cares? Like, he, he seems like he answers your prayers, but I'm not sure he always answers mine, you know. And so we never... She literally said that, I did way, say so. that. Um, so we, were pray, we prayed about it, and we didn't tell anybody, and we came home from church, and there was a gas grill on our back step that says, to Nate and Jody from Jesus. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, we my hadn't goodness. told anybody. It was just bizarre. No, and so, you know, for me, when we got married, uh, or when we actually met the first time, I was working two jobs. Not because I had to, but because I wanted to. Um, you go, why stay home when you can work and make money? And so God had to deal with Jody Jaira in that season of having little feet. <laughs> and I learned that God is my provider. And now, as we um, come into this era, you go, well, whatever can come, we know how to survive on a little or a lot, whatever. Uh, we can do all things through Christ. So Pastor Darren, uh, earlier this year, gave a just kind of an encouragement about the Kingdom Builders commitment. And so Nate and I were praying about it. And as he was talking about, Pastor Darren was talking about needs in Africa and the water well and what he did. And I'm like, Nate, I feel like God's just speaking to me that we're supposed to double our pledge. And so we looked, and I'm like, okay, if the Holy Spirit's telling us that, we're going to do that. And who knew but God that there would be extra margin with all the lockdowns. We're not spending as much on gas. There's no money to spend on other things. And so, and then God has provided other ways to be able to meet that commitment that we um, pledged. So basically, God's the owner, and we just do what he says. That's Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I'm grateful. And there's been some times when she's, like, heard the Spirit, and I'm like, okay. Double, that seems like a lot, but we found that the resource doesn't come from us. It's not Jody Jaira, Nate Jaira. It's not Emmanuel Jaira. It's not, it's Jehovah Jaira. My God will provide. He'll provide for e even the generosity things that God wants us to do in our life. So we've learned to trust him in all of those areas. You see, God gives us all kinds of different resources, and he wants us to do something with what he's given us. Next week, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But let me just say this. If God's given you talent, he wants you to use it. If he's given you an ability to teach or the ability to, to create a business or the ability to uh, just love people, whatever your, your resource is that God has given you that talent, then God wants you to give it to him and trust that he'll provide on the other side. God is our source and our resource, meaning we need his continual investment in our lives. Not just one time, get out of jail, Lord, I want to hit the lottery so I can pay the bills. But how can I have a regular rhythm with him? Because if we drift away from him, we are in danger because we become our own resource. And there will be a time that we face deficit. And when we do face that, we can't look to other people because people will let us down. And we can't just look at ourselves. We need to have a place where we go, Lord, you've got this. I've got this challenge. I've been trusting you all the way through. I know I can trust you in this. We need to continuously look to him 
as our resource. And the way that God taught his people that, biblically speaking, in the Bible, is he's, he's, he showed us how to do that rhythmically. And, uh, and I want you to consider just one space. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments. So Moses goes up the mountain and he comes down and he's got the tablets of stone and the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know how many of you actually have read the Ten Commandments other than just to memorize them through. So I want us to look real quickly at Exodus chapter 20. We're not going to go through all the Ten Commandments. We're actually just going to look at one. This is an example of how we can continuously look to God as our resource. And it's the principle of Sabbath. Okay? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, this is the principle that you see that God tells everybody to have. In fact, we're to continue to do that even in the New Testament. Okay, this isn't a commandment that goes away. It's something to be a part of it. And the basic principle is this. You give God one day and the other six, he'll give you the strength to work. He'll give you what you need to work, to do what you're designed to do. So you give me a day of rest, and that rest isn't just rest because God's not taking a break right now. It's rest for us. And there's a powerful benefit at learning to trust God that if we rest, we work out of our rest. In America, we have this idea that we work to rest. Biblically, it's exactly the opposite. We have to learn to rest so that we can work. I go to work out of rest. If I'm not in a place of God's rest, then I'm utilizing my own strength. I'm surviving. I'm trying to utilize Red Bulls and other things to keep me going. How many know what I'm talking about? And this is why even I've talked about many times over the, over the years with, with rest that, you know, the difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep. Go to bed if you're cranky and you're overwhelmed. Go to sleep. It's a good thing for you. Well, God would say that out of rest that we work, and he puts a rhythm to that. So it's every seven days we're in that rhythm. All of life can be a, you can't just go, I'm going to work for three months, and then I'm going to rest. Because there will be consequences in your body, there will be consequences in your relationships, and you'll be working out of yourself. You'll be Nate Jaira. You'll be providing for yourself the strength that you need. So God says, nah, don't do any of that stuff. I want you to rest so that you can work. Turn to the person next to you and say, take a break. <laughs> now the second one that he puts in his rhythms that I want you to think about is this rhythm of tithing. Now some of you have good experience with that. Some of you might have a bad experience with that. Some of you have heard about from a church perspective and you think, well, that's just the church trying to get money. That has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with your personal relationship with God and how he wants you to have a rhythm where you know that Je Jehovah Jireh is with you every single moment of your life. In fact, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is where we start seeing it. 
And it says this in verse 22, you must set aside, God says, a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now you see a bunch of things in there, grain, fruits, animals, okay? That was their means of commerce. Nowadays that might be money for us. Whatever we gain in, he says that you are to give a tithe. Tithe simply means 10%. Everybody said 10%. 10% is not a biblical word, it's just a word, okay? But he's saying this is a word that I want you to give it to the Lord, 10%, and then good things will happen to you. God owns it all in a sense, he's saying, but when you give the first of the 10, there's a concept called the first fruits, first part of your crop, the firstborn male, it says in there in the text. When you give the first, that first 10%, then he takes care of everything else. He owns it all anyways, but we return that 10% to him of what he already owns. And then he blesses everything we have because we're good stewards of what he, he has entrusted us with. In Malachi chapter 3, at the very end of the Old Testament, there's a word spoken by God to the people of Israel. And I want you to hear this today like God is talking to you, okay? And he, and he really gives us a challenge, okay? And he says this in Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, everybody say, if you do. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, which is an echo, by the way, of the Abraham promise that we read last week. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So he says, listen, test me in this. Take a test. Test God. Do it. Because he had people that weren't doing it. Just like we have in America today, in the church today, there are people here, hey, let's be honest, I'm, let's keep it real. I know not everybody in the church tithes. Woohoo! Newsflash, right? But I want you to hear God say, double dog dare you to see if you don't do better when you trust God. And not just with your money amounts, with the contentment and peace of your heart, okay? And he says, Test me and see if I don't bring blessing to you and your whole household. And then he also talks about the whole land around us, which I think is incredible. Now, I got, a, I got 10 oranges up here that represent everything, okay? Beautiful oranges, right? These oranges represent everything. So what God is saying is, listen, when you receive whatever it is that you receive, give me the first. You still got all this over here, all right? But give me the first. And if you do, I will provide blessing here. Our founding pastor, Mark Denyes, the founder of Emmanuel Christian Center, he used to say that 90% blessed goes further than 100% cursed. And he was basically saying, hey, listen, you give him the first, it takes care of everything, okay? And he takes care of you. Now, here's the challenge that we face. 
So we got bills, we got money that comes in and all of that, and we go, okay, I need to pay the electric bill, I need to pay the cell phone bill, I need to pay the rent, I need to take care of the groceries, I need to, and we start dealing with everything else first, right? And then we keep, we keep doing it, and, we, we, and then all of a sudden, all we've got left is two, okay? Two, right? And, uh, and we're like, I don't know, Lord, if I can really afford to give you what's yours already. We, we, we reach a spot because we wait till the end to give God what he says, give me first. And then we're like, but Lord, I feel overwhelmed. All this stuff is overwhelming me. I don't know what to do. And I would just go back to the beginning. Rewind the tape. You know, go right back to the beginning. Wait a second. If I go here, I still have all those other things, but I don't need to worry because God owns it all. He's going to provide. Are you hearing what I'm saying today, church? You give God that first 10%, and there brings a freedom. Our contentment can't be based on what we own. We have to be prepared for what God owns. And when we hit moments of our story where our identity is housed in what we own, then we feel threatened when we lose what we own. In fact, if what we have isn't who we are, then we won't lose ourselves when we don't have. That's my little Yogi Berra moment. Um, where I'm, I'm, I'm able to share something. So if, if our identity is in stuff and we lose it, then we lose our, our identity, our hope. But if it's not in that, we don't lose anything at all because our identity is found in him. Church, we need to build our faith not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. It has to be that way. And let me just bring it down to the real. Some of you think this is just all about finances. It's not all about finance. It is about trusting the Lord is owning everything. But we've got an election in just over a week. And there's been millions of people that have already voted online and gone and done early voting, that kind of thing, and mail-in voting and stuff like that. And then there'll be other people that will vote. I will vote on that Tuesday. And, uh, and I'll pray, and I'll do my civic duty. But let me tell you this. Not one part of me is worried about what's going to happen with the election. What do you mean? In whatever your political parties, what do you mean? If so-and-so wins, then the whole world's going to collapse because that's what you've been marketed to, to, tell, to think about for the last six months. Fear from everybody else, and they're trying to, to show you that politicians are the owner, that a political party is the owner. You know what? They aren't the owner of my contentment or my peace. I can trust that God has got this. See, the, the electioners exposed many of our hearts, the danger in trusting a political party or plan to give us hope and freedom. But we need to focus on how God provides it. Our citizenship is in heaven. We need to lean into the Lord and what he is doing so that we don't lose our soul based on who wins or loses. Vote, do your civic duty, but do not trust in external or temporary forces. If God is the owner, we need to get love all of his kids. Jesus said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Our means, listen, we don't get our help from anywhere in Washington, D.C. 
or in St. Paul, Minnesota, or from any other place. Listen, even if the worst fears that you've been told told to be afraid of happen, the church is still going to be solid. It works in communist China. It works in South America. It works in Africa. The kingdom of God works in every place on the planet. We don't need external things to tell us how we're doing good on the inside. Can I get an amen to that? We need to stay focused on him and his kingdom. And out of his kingdom comes joy. There's joy in partnering with the Lord. And when we've recognized God as the owner, we release to the the unknown to God because we know he weaves everything together for the good, Romans 8.28. And when we're good stewards of what he's given us, we trust him as the owner. And then when he prompts us to give in generosity to fill a need of someone else, It becomes fun because we know we didn't lose anything. Our owner will provide for us on the other side. And even if it gets dark and difficult and we face troubling and tough times, we can trust in Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and gave us the example that through, though he had a cross to go through, he endured the cross and the suffering of the cross for the joy that was on the other side of the cross. We too can learn to move through even difficult times. And the cool thing is the more we release our grip and recognize that God is the owner, the more opportunities that he gives us to manage. I want you to see the story of Yantan, one of our great teammates, Emmanuel family in Maple Grove campus. And Yantan just shares simply this very fact in his story. Listen to Yantan's story. God has been working in my life for a long time. I remember saying to myself all the time, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. My name is Yantan Che, and me and my family has been attending Emmanuel Maple Grove before it was Emmanuel Maple Grove. Emmanuel is, is definitely home to us, and I don't see myself going anywhere soon. I'm from Liberia, West African country. As far as I can remember, my father always taking us to church, uh, and we took us to church, he'd give us uh, money, he'd give us a dollar, uh, and then you'd have to put that in an offering. And when we came to the States, when I was young, probably like 10 years old, when we went to church, he would do the same thing. And so when I became an adult, I wasn't as faithful in giving. I became someone that gave on occasion, basically. As I got older and life happened, and me and my wife had a kid, and things was tough on us. My father always told me, whenever you have something in your, in your life that was difficult, you take it to the Lord, and God would take care of everything. And so I decided to, you know, rededicate my life to God when I was going through school. And so I made a promise to God. I said, Lord, if you please help me get through school, I'll give faithfully, I'll tithe faithfully. If you help me get a job, um, I'll tithe faithfully. And so God provided. He first got me through school, graduated with a computer science degree, um, and then got me a job at Target Corporation in like 2008 as a contractor, which paid me at the time the most money I ever got paid before. It didn't work out at Target, but then I got a job at Delta, uh, and God continued to give me increases in that job. The more and more money that I got, the more the enemy started creeping into my head and say, oh, you can use that money for other things. You don't necessarily have to give that 10%. And so I, I would give 5% and say, oh, I would pray every time, Lord, 
I know that you provided me <laughs> with, with what I have, but here's 5%. I can give 5% without feeling some kind of way about it. That's what I continue to do. It's always uh, easier to give your 10% when you don't have that much money, but when you have a lot of money, you think about it. Um, so that's why I started giving 5%. Later on in my story, um, around 2018, um, I lost my job with, with Delta. In that time of praying and fasting and asking the Lord and saying, God, please help me find a new job, um, I decided to focus more on, on giving to God. And not only giving to God, trusting God that God would give me a new job, God would provide me a new job. Uh, and so for the little check that I used to get, the unemployment check, I started tithing 10% from that. I kept saying to myself, okay, um, God, you're gonna provide. God, you're gonna take care of this. God, you're gonna find me a job. And as I gave each week, I'm looking at the, the total of, of what I'm giving, and I'm saying to myself, okay, you were holding, holding back giving God your 10% when you made all this money. Now you're giving the full 10% of your unemployment check, and you're giving, more, you're giving more money than when you were making more money. So um, I had pray uh, a prayer to ask God for three things, a respectable job for a job that's close by, and then I asked God for the most money I ever made. Um, that's funny, but I, <laughs> you don't keep God into a box. You ask, and then he gives what he gives. So that's what I did. I kept asking guys, like, can you please give me some direction? What should I be applying for if I'm not getting a job for IT? The person that I interviewed with, he uh, responded to the contracting company and told them, well, Yanting didn't get the job, but then he gave them specifics of what he thought I should apply for. To me, that was God speaking directly to me from the prayer that I prayed. And so I took that uh, advice and applied a target uh, for a leadership role there. And within a week, they called me back. Within another week, I had an interview and I got the job. I felt like God was showing me. It was like, look, look, when you, when you, when you follow what I tell you to do, everything's going to turn out just fine. Like, you're able to give. You know, I can trust in God for God to provide for me. And knowing that he, will, he gives me everything that I need, everything that I have comes from him, is easy to give. Target doesn't pay my bills. Delta didn't pay my bills. It all comes from the Lord. And once you realize that everything you have comes from God, it's easy to give and give joyfully. See, it's not just a cute story that a pastor shares on a Sunday. You know what my dream is for our church? That you understand the freedom that comes from knowing that God owns it all. That you live in that freedom and a tithe principle, a Sabbath principle, just giving God what you have a choice to give or not is the difference between you experiencing the life of God and trying to feel the weight of responsibility all on your own shoulders. I want you to be free. I want the lift of the kingdom of God to come to your life. I want you to leave the ground, if you will, and the thrust of God's kingdom to come behind you. I want you to be able to experience that. That's my dream for you. Why? Because it changes everything about your Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays when you're worried about your children. Listen, when you think about your kids and the challenges and the choices they're making when they're not around you, 
and you're worried when you've dedicated them to the Lord, just like we've dedicated children today in church. When we dedicate them to the Lord, then the conversation with God isn't, Lord, do you care about them? No, it's, Lord, I gave them back to you. Lord, you got to take care of your kid. It's a partnership with heaven. You don't have to worry about it. There's life that comes from that. And when you think, by the way, it's not like when kids grow up and they graduate from high school that you stop worrying about your kids. You still have worries and concerns, but if you're able to turn that over to the Lord, there's a lightness of heart. Jesus says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. He gives us a burden that is easy and light instead of one that is heavy that we own ourselves. Church, I'm just telling you right now, it is the best of all worlds when we trust him as our owner and we release our grip and allow him to have access to all of what he already owns. Uh, when I was growing up, I had uh, the, the honor and privilege of living in a lot of different houses. We lived in 20 different houses, 21 different places while I was growing up. So many of those, most of those were rental places, apartments, houses, those kind of things. And uh, one of the things about, there's, there's a real cool aspect to renting. Now we own our house now, and as an owner of my house, when my roof if something happens to the roof, guess who has to take care of the roof? I do, because I, I own the house, right? Uh, if the water heater goes out, oh shoot, what do we do? Our furnace went out two years ago, what do we, I've got to take care of it. I'm responsible, make the phone call, set it up, pay the bill, all of that kind of thing. But when you rent and the water heater goes out, guess who takes care of that? The landlord, the owner of the property. When you rent because somebody else owns it, you take care of that space, but somebody else is responsible to come through and take care of things that fall apart. Listen, when you give God ownership and yield ownership over every part of your life, when you hit a difficulty and you lose your job, when something bad happens, it's not like, how am I gonna get myself out of this? It's Lord, you're the owner. You call the owner up and it's the owner's responsibility to take care of your issues. Are you hearing what I'm saying today, church? We need to call the owner today. We need to yield and take our grip off and say, Lord, you own it all. You own my kids, my family, my career, my future, my body, every part of my story. So the first step in stewardship is answering the question, who is the owner? Who is my owner? Who is the owner of my story? And we can surrender to him. God is our creator and find the life that only comes from him. Would you stand with me in all of our locations today? <laughs> just want you to pause for a second. Just close your eyes now that you're standing. And I want to just ask you a question. Are you in a place where you're away from God and you need to come back to him? Or have you never truly surrendered to Jesus? I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's not... Let's not move on to all the other things that we could talk about in the, scripture, in the scripture. You need to deal with your own heart right now, and you need to surrender and take your grip off your own life and surrender to Jesus. We just close your eyes, each of our locations. If you're here and you need to give your life to Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're online or you're joining us in Maple Grove or Elk River, you're joining us in Spring Lake Park, it doesn't matter where you are, but you know between you and God you need to surrender to Him right now. 
I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can do that right now. In fact, just repeat this prayer out loud after me, but mean it from your heart and you're talking to God. Just repeat this prayer and everybody else you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth, you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, and you're alive. Today, I surrender to you. I ask you to take over, to be my Lord and Savior. You are the owner of everything, and I yield to you. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise in church today, amen. If you prayed that, listen, I know that every week there's at least one or two or 10 or 15 people that give their lives to Jesus. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, I wanna challenge you to take the next step. And if you could just text the word Emmanuel to 313131 right now, I would love to send you a link of what it means to continue to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that even right now. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.